Having this kind of organization made people's lives both safer and more comfortable. Mankind found itself expanding its cities and the overall population has grown rapidly in recent years. The institution of rankings assigned to monsters did much to reduce the number of deaths as well. For someone charged with training new recruits, nothing could have made me happier. Thanks to Yuki, the Free Guild was now an organization that neither the nations of the world nor its people could do without. Yuki, for his part, just laughed it off. I was just imitating what I saw in this video game I played, he said. Though, of course, you can do anything you want in a game. You can have monsters that say, I'm not a bad slime, you know, or even have them join your party. He was always a joker like that. Monsters becoming your friends? That sort of thing could happen only in your dreams. The world I was born in had almost been raised to the ground by war. Had it recovered to the point where it could create people like him, people who never seemed to have a care in the world, he explained to me that these video games were children's toys that let you experience a full story yourself, so if Japan had recovered enough to give children dreams to play with, it must have become a wonderful place. So I listened to Yuki's stories, thinking to myself about a home I could never go back to. I continued to serve as a support for Yuki after that, advising him from the rear, never appearing in the forefront. The Free Guild continued to grow and became an outfit used by nearly everyone. It embraced a philosophy of rescuing the weak, accessible to everyone equally. Then Yuki, my very own student, became the Guild's Grand Master, its highest position, the one who organized and oversaw the Guild Masters of each branch. Given everything he had done for them, I should have expected it. His efforts were the catalyst that allowed people to live at peace. For a change. He had done everything he needed to. I felt the satisfaction of. A job well done. So I decided, then, to go on a journey. A journey to take care of some. Regrets. I kept having dreams of the past, back when I was still a magic born. It. Was getting hard to contain if its will. Perhaps I was approaching the end of my natural life. I knew my mask of magic resistance was still working as well as ever, so the reason seemed obvious. Once I realized that, I concluded that I had best leave town as soon as possible. I couldn't know when Ifrit would finally fall out of control, and I had no idea how my death would affect Ifrit himself. Plus, I wanted to retaliate against my demon lord. Just once, I wanted to have my say with him, so I decided to set off on my journey. When I told Yuki about my plans, he silently nodded, saying nothing about them. Hopefully he was willing to forgive this one final act of selfishness. Maybe, I thought to myself, this is how the hero felt, too. I made my way to Blumand. Heinz was retired by now, since his son. Hughes had taken over the guildmaster's role in his place. We got to meet up. And chat a little about old times. He had a lot to say, which I was glad for. Remarkably, he reported that Beldora had disappeared. 
the guild was, conducting a frantic investigation to find the cause. I don't know too many. Details, Heinz told me with a snicker. They don't tell an old pensioner like. Me too much. I can tell it's troubling my son, though. He must have trusted Fuse well to speak of him like that, I thought. I had gone on several monster hunting operations together with the boy, and I remembered him doing a fine job supporting me. Now he was out of the front lines and following in his father's managerial footsteps. He must have inherited all of Heinz's natural talent. Thank you, I said. You've been very kind to me. I shouldn't get in their way. After my polite response, I stood up. Was Veldora's disappearance meant to be some divine message to us? Either way, I was headed for the forest. You stay safe, too, Shizu. I think there's an expedition leaving here. Tomorrow, actually, he muttered, almost to himself. If you're hitting the forest, you might as well join them for a while. He didn't try to stop me. He was always an awkward fellow, and this was how he preferred to show kindness. Ah, Heinz, I should have expected nothing less. I suppose I'll owe you. To the very end, then. You owe me nothing, Shizu. And no talking about the very end yet. I'd like another look at you sometime. I could feel the warmth behind his words. True. I'll be back. I bowed low and left. The next day, I managed to run into the expedition Heinz mentioned to me. It consisted of three adventurers, and as he'd told me, they were a bright, inviting group. I genuinely appreciated joining such kind people for my last journey, though their excessive carelessness did baffle me. There was, to say the least, a lot of trouble along our way through the forest of Jura. I was impressed, in a way, that they had attained a ranking of be at all. They had the battle technique such a rank implied, but if I had to sum up everything about their team in a word, it would be nonsensical. Our journey continued on nonetheless, right up until they jammed a sword into a giant ant nest. I was horrified. This happened not a moment. After I told them it was a bad idea, too. Never in my life did I imagine they would try something like that. My flames could have torched those giant ants instantly, I imagine. But by the time I realized how hard it was to control my power, I had already started to feel my body deteriorate. It remained physically young thanks to Ifrit's presence, but as my power over him dwindled, it rapidly began aging. Or, I suppose I should say it went back to the age it should always have. Ben. Would Ifrit be released once my body gave in? Or would he crumble and fall apart with me? I would have no idea what would happen until it did. That was why I had set off. And why I hesitated to pull out my fire. We were lucky enough to be rescued by a passing patrol, saving us from any further trouble. But this patrol was one of the fishiest things I had ever seen. Being saved by monsters? Nothing like that had ever happened to me. Before. These were hobgoblins riding upon magical wolves. It would have been. One thing if they understood a few broken words of human speech, but. 
These were intelligent creatures, and they had tamed what was clearly a high-level monster species. This was absolutely the kind of suspicious event this adventuring trio had been sent out to investigate, I thought. My destination, meanwhile, was the castle of the demon Lord Leon. His domain occupied the lands just beyond the forest. I should have chosen that moment to take my leave of their party. But, I don't know. I suppose I just wanted to see, along with these adventurers, what kind of home these monsters had made for themselves. It was a strange place indeed, this town our rescuers lived in. It was no dank lair or stinking, filthy den. A town was the only way to describe it. The shock I felt was beyond comprehension. This wasn't some rude shelter, some glorified hole in a mountain. It was a proper town, one they had built for themselves from scratch. It was under construction, I should probably add. It had been surveyed and laid out, and building materials had been placed in each section, ready to be converted into houses. There were no buildings yet, the monsters were still living out of neat rows of tents. But they had even started their work by focusing on the underground infrastructure. I had never heard of anything like it on this planet. It was a bizarre settlement. But it was bursting with energy. The residents, despite being monsters, truly seemed to enjoy working on it. Most of them were hobgoblins, but they seemed to share their lands with the black dire wolves. A tad different from the ones I was familiar with, and I didn't think it was my imagination. The leader of the hobgoblins spoke very fluently to me. I imagine he was the most intelligent among them. He even prepared food for us. Remarkably, though, he turned out not to be the leader at all. Instead, he was joined by a slime, one who lay back in his lofty throne, acting as if he were king of the world. It might be odd to say a slime could lie back on anything, perhaps, but that really was the sense he exuded. This slime was the strangest thing of all, for he, in fact, was the leader of all these monsters. It was hilarious. I couldn't help but do a spit take as he spoke. I'm not a bad slime was how he chose to describe himself. Just like Yuki's video game. I began to wonder whether it was a coincidence. Still, there was something inviting about the space this slime created. The strange creature somehow made me recall memories of my own hometown. My heart felt full. Now I was glad I'd decided to step away from my intended path. This meeting, I thought, was fate at work. And yet, the hours we spent enjoying ourselves came to a sudden halt. My life was about to expire. I had yet to reach my destination to fulfill my goal. But here it was. Ifrit had been waiting for this moment. I could feel his will taking over, mine. It's happening. I'm going to ruin all of this, too. If only, one last time, I could just. The Titan manifested himself, all but laughing at my folly. My consciousness faded away. I went to see how she was. She didn't have long. In fact, she might never.
Having this kind of organization made people's lives both safer and more comfortable. Mankind found itself expanding its cities and the overall population has grown rapidly in recent years. The institution of rankings assigned to monsters did much to reduce the number of deaths as well. For someone charged with training new recruits, nothing could have made me happier. Thanks to Yuki, the Free Guild was now an organization that neither the nations of the world nor its people could do without. Yuki, for his part, just laughed it off. I was just imitating what I saw in this video game I played, he said. Though, of course, you can do anything you want in a game. You can have monsters that say, I'm not a bad slime, you know, or even have them join your party. He was always a joker like that. Monsters becoming your friends? That sort of thing could happen only in your dreams. The world I was born in had almost been raised to the ground by war. Had it recovered to the point where it could create people like him, people who never seemed to have a care in the world, he explained to me that these video games were children's toys that let you experience a full story yourself, so if Japan had recovered enough to give children dreams to play with, it must have become a wonderful place. So I listened to Yuki's stories, thinking to myself about a home I could never go back to. I continued to serve as a support for Yuki after that, advising him from the rear, never appearing in the forefront. The Free Guild continued to grow and became an outfit used by nearly everyone. It embraced a philosophy of rescuing the weak, accessible to everyone equally. Then Yuki, my very own student, became the Guild's Grand Master, its highest position, the one who organized and oversaw the Guild Masters of each branch. Given everything he had done for them, I should have expected it. His efforts were the catalyst that allowed people to live at peace. For a change. He had done everything he needed to. I felt the satisfaction of. A job well done. So I decided, then, to go on a journey. A journey to take care of some. Regrets. I kept having dreams of the past, back when I was still a magic born. It. Was getting hard to contain Ifrit's will. Perhaps I was approaching the end of my natural life. I knew my mask of magic resistance was still working as well as ever, so the reason seemed obvious. Once I realized that, I concluded that I had best leave town as soon as possible. I couldn't know when Ifrit would finally fall out of control, and I had no idea how my death would affect Ifrit himself. Plus, I wanted to retaliate against my demon lord. Just once, I wanted to have my say with him, so I decided to set off on my journey. When I told Yuki about my plans, he silently nodded, saying nothing about them. Hopefully he was willing to forgive this one final act of selfishness. Maybe, I thought to myself, this is how the hero felt, too. I made my way to Blumand. Heinz was retired by now, since his son. Hughes had taken over the guildmaster's role in his place. We got to meet up. And chat a little about old times. He had a lot to say, which I was glad for. Remarkably, he reported that Beldora had disappeared. 
the guild was conducting a frantic investigation to find the cause. I don't know too many. Details, Heinz told me with a snicker. They don't tell an old pensioner like. Me too much. I can tell it's troubling my son, though. He must have trusted Fuse well to speak of him like that, I thought. I had gone on several monster hunting operations together with the boy, and I remembered him doing a fine job supporting me. Now he was out of the front lines and following in his father's managerial footsteps. He must have inherited all of Heinz's natural talent. Thank you, I said. You've been very kind to me. I shouldn't get in their way. After my polite response, I stood up. Was Veldora's disappearance meant to be some divine message to us? Either way, I was headed for the forest. You stay safe, too, Shizu. I think there's an expedition leaving here. Tomorrow, actually, he muttered, almost to himself. If you're hitting the forest, you might as well join them for a while. He didn't try to stop me. He was always an awkward fellow, and this was how he preferred to show kindness. Ah, Heinz, I should have expected nothing less. I suppose I'll owe you. To the very end, then. You owe me nothing, Shizu. And no talking about the very end yet. I'd like another look at you sometime. I could feel the warmth behind his words. True. I'll be back. I bowed low and left. The next day, I managed to run into the expedition Heinz mentioned to me. It consisted of three adventurers, and as he'd told me, they were a bright, inviting group. I genuinely appreciated joining such kind people for my last journey, though their excessive carelessness did baffle me. There was, to say the least, a lot of trouble along our way through the forest of Jura. I was impressed, in a way, that they had attained a ranking of be at all. They had the battle technique such a rank implied, but if I had to sum up everything about their team in a word, it would be nonsensical. Our journey continued on nonetheless, right up until they jammed a sword into a giant ant nest. I was horrified. This happened not a moment. After I told them it was a bad idea, too. Never in my life did I imagine they would try something like that. My flames could have torched those giant ants instantly, I imagine. But by the time I realized how hard it was to control my power, I had already started to feel my body deteriorate. It remained physically young thanks to Ifrit's presence, but as my power over him dwindled, it rapidly began aging. Or, I suppose I should say it went back to the age it should always have. Ben. Would Ifrit be released once my body gave in? Or would he crumble and fall apart with me? I would have no idea what would happen until it did. That was why I had set off. And why I hesitated to pull out my fire. We were lucky enough to be rescued by a passing patrol, saving us from any further trouble. But this patrol was one of the fishiest things I had ever seen. Being saved by monsters? Nothing like that had ever happened to me. Before. These were hobgoblins riding upon magical wolves. It would have been. One thing if they understood a few broken words of human speech, but. 
These were intelligent creatures, and they had tamed what was clearly a high-level monster species. This was absolutely the kind of suspicious event this adventuring trio had been sent out to investigate, I thought. My destination, meanwhile, was the castle of the demon Lord Leon. His domain occupied the lands just beyond the forest. I should have chosen that moment to take my leave of their party. But, I don't know. I suppose I just wanted to see, along with these adventurers, what kind of home these monsters had made for themselves. It was a strange place indeed, this town our rescuers lived in. It was no dank lair or stinking, filthy den. A town was the only way to describe it. The shock I felt was beyond comprehension. This wasn't some rude shelter, some glorified hole in a mountain. It was a proper town, one they had built for themselves from scratch. It was under construction, I should probably add. It had been surveyed and laid out, and building materials had been placed in each section, ready to be converted into houses. There were no buildings yet, the monsters were still living out of neat rows of tents. But they had even started their work by focusing on the underground infrastructure. I had never heard of anything like it on this planet. It was a bizarre settlement. But it was bursting with energy. The residents, despite being monsters, truly seemed to enjoy working on it. Most of them were hobgoblins, but they seemed to share their lands with the black dire wolves. A tad different from the ones I was familiar with, and I didn't think it was my imagination. The leader of the hobgoblins spoke very fluently to me. I imagine he was the most intelligent among them. He even prepared food for us. Remarkably, though, he turned out not to be the leader at all. Instead, he was joined by a slime, one who lay back in his lofty throne, acting as if he were king of the world. It might be odd to say a slime could lie back on anything, perhaps, but that really was the sense he exuded. This slime was the strangest thing of all, for he, in fact, was the leader of all these monsters. It was hilarious. I couldn't help but do a spit take as he spoke. I'm not a bad slime was how he chose to describe himself. Just like Yuki's video game. I began to wonder whether it was a coincidence. Still, there was something inviting about the space this slime created. The strange creature somehow made me recall memories of my own. Hometown. My heart felt full. Now I was glad I'd decided to step away. From my intended path. This meeting, I thought, was fate at work. And yet. The hours we spent enjoying ourselves, came to a sudden halt. My life. Was about to expire. I had yet to reach my destination, to fulfill my goal. But here it was. Ifrit had been waiting for this moment. I could feel his will taking over, mine. It's happening. I'm going to ruin all of this, too. If only, one last time, I could just. The Titan manifested himself, all but laughing at my folly. My consciousness faded away. I went to see how she was. She didn't have long. In fact, she might never. Hard to tell. 
There was, no escape. I was at the mercy of my enemy's spell. Ifrit. Made me attack those clones on purpose. They were both a distraction and a way to charge up his energy. I mentally prepared myself for death. Duh. I didn't think I had let my guard down, but I could have handled. That better. And I played right into the enemy's hands, too. Totally awful. Maybe I shouldn't have been so self-centered. We should have all taken. Him on at once. Or maybe I could have taken my black wolf form, confused. Him with my speed, and then lunged at him, taking whatever burns I got. Or. Maybe a round of dark lightning would have done the trick. Sitting tight, and. Seeing how things turned out? Not good. Certain other regrets also entered my mind. Still, I knew my senses were ultra-fast, but it sure was taking a while for the damage to arrive. Not that I minded a painless death, if it had to be that way. Seriously, wasn't this going kind of slowly? Was he just screwing with me? Weird. I should have been swallowed up by the flames a while ago. Hmm. Understood. The effects of resist temperature have successfully canceled flame-based attacks automatically. I detected at least a bit of you forgot all about resist temperature, didn't you? Sarcasm to the voice. Who asked you to speak up right now, you pile of junk? Yeah. I thought I gotta, in response to that little outburst. Hopefully that was just my imagination. The sage had been completely faithful to me before now. It wasn't even self-aware. It'd be stupid to think. Otherwise. Ha ha ha. I'm just being silly. I'm sure of it. Now, then. Wait. It cancels flame-based attacks? So. Dude, I have this in the bag, don't I? Like, this is all part of the plan. I pretend that I'm on the ropes, then I turn the tables. Let's go with that. Right. Time to finish up, then. What was that? I shouted as I silently unraveled my sticky thread. Across Ifrit's body. He was done for. My analysis already showed that he was using Shizu for his body's core. I couldn't have tied up a pure spirit. Beast like the salamanders with this string, but one with a physical core was a different story. Next, I'd combine the sticky thread with some steel thread to get the benefits of both. Another product of my experimentation, and as a bonus, it adopted the same immunities I had, so it wouldn't get burned up. Checkmate. I know I sneered at you earlier, but you were probably sneering at me, too. Let's call it even. You're free to hate me for this if you like. I'm up next, right? Ifrit, in a panic, struggled to free himself. I expected that. But my sticky steel thread was never going to let him. I took my sweet time, casually approaching. It was time to land the final strike. On Ifrit, the monster that had probably taken Shizu's body over. No need for too much haste. I walked up to this flailing creature, who was trying to throw every attack he could to stop me. Sadly for him, flames didn't work on me. Then, 
Use unique skill, Predator? Yes. No. That'll be a big OL, yes, please. A flash of bright light covered the area, then suddenly vanished. All that was left was a lone old woman and me. Was this a dream? My mother's hand, cold. Her cold eyes, gazing at me, a warm smile and a pile of pure white ash. All these memories did was torment me. I didn't want to remember them. But that was the path I walked. If I hadn't run into the hero, I doubt my soul could ever have been. Saved. But I was too awkward, too unskilled, to wind up like her. With so. Many people relying on me, too. It was just that. It had been several years since I'd retired from the adventurer life. I was. A full-fledged teacher, leading the next generation of our trade as I helped. Out the society with its work. The Society of Adventurers, a group that crossed borders and had grown. Beyond the control of any single government, had built its headquarters in. The Kingdom of Inglesia. I was no longer an adventurer, but if there was. Anything I could do for them, I wanted to help them with it. It had been the. Society, after all, that had given me a home of sorts when I had nowhere else to go. There, I had a chance to teach a number of talented students. A young man with eyes that beamed with complete purity. A girl, her gaze tinged with hopelessness. More otherworlders, I assumed, just like me, the two of them were exact opposites in so many ways. Yuki was a bright, optimistic boy while Hanada was insular and reserved, as if she carried all the darkness in the world with her. Bandits had attacked her when she came here. At the time, I had thought that she would warm up and come around as the days passed. The bandits met their fates at the hands of some other assailant, which saved Hanada's life, but I'm sure the incident must have scarred her. I saw a bit of myself in the girl, after all. I had an affinity for her. It was. Apparently one-sided. Thank you for everything you've taught me, she said. There is. Nothing else I can learn from you. I doubt we will meet again. Then she. Turned around and left. I thought it might have been best to chase after her, but I couldn't will. Myself to leave town. The society was building a new shared assistance. Program with Inglesia, a new organizational structure originally proposed. By Yuki. As a former hero, I was put in the position of representing the society in the requisite negotiations. It was something I wanted to see. Succeed, considering how it would define the society's future direction. So in the end, all I could do was see her off. If you ever get lost, I called to her, I want you to rely on me. After agonizing over it, I decided to support Yuki over Hanada. The girl had walked a similar path to mine, but she was always far more strong willed than I was. I figured that I should believe in her. That her iron will could clear the darkness in her soul and transform her into a great woman. It was no great surprise when I learned, a mere few years later, that she had risen to an important position in the church. I felt a little proud, a little lonely, and just a tad anxious. Hinata isn't feeling lonesome, is she? 
Is she doing all right with her life? The questions overwhelmed me, but I figured I had no right to ask them. I once had the chance to grasp her hand, and I had refused it. All I could do was pray for Hanada's continued safety. Yuki, on the other hand, was far more dynamic. It was Yuki who built the current system for the Society of Adventurers, now renamed the Free Guild. Thanks to him, the Guild was able to build a successful cooperative relationship with nations across the world. He had forged new treaties with governments, earning the Guild positions in their topmost of councils. His efforts had made the organization more powerful than ever. I should have expected nothing less. Until then, every nation had been focused solely on protecting its own borders. When the Free Guild began taking on monster dispatch duties, it lightened the loads of every other government in the world. And that wasn't all. Adventurers, people who traveled the world, never beholden to any single country, were obligated to file reports on their journeys. The Free Guild then collated these reports, too. Gain a grasp of how monsters were distributed worldwide. Danger levels were assigned to every region, allowing people to travel in relative peace. The system had one other major effect. Knowing where and when to expect monsters made it possible to quickly detect anomalies, letting people discover and report on monsters not seen before or eliminate hordes. In short order if they grew too numerous, whenever a monster that normally didn't appear in a certain region suddenly menaced a nearby town, the guild was also obliged to send an expeditionary force to figure out the cause. Getting to the root of it early on, let the guild and local governments assemble a dispatch corps far more efficiently than before, want to try my luck. If I'd still been a human, they probably would have turned me into a black divot on the ground. I'd better take care of those two guys first before tackling Ifrit. So I tried. Out some water blades. Unlike the fire giant, the salamanders couldn't cut off the attack before it hit home. I managed to slice off a limb, but, ridiculously enough, the guy grew it right back again. It must have been made of fire like everything else. Just cutting it off wouldn't accomplish much. The black snake probably exuded more raw strength than these guys, but the salamander's special powers would make them a tad trickier to defeat. My master, physical attacks will not work against spiritual foes. Striking their elemental weakness or using magic will, Ranga explained. Oh. Right. Hitting an elemental spirit with a sword wouldn't do much, would it? What about launching a ton of water at it, then? My stomach had about that much in storage from the underground lake. Would that be enough to put the brakes on this guy? Understood. It is possible to release a large amount of water. This will cause a steam explosion upon contact with the salamander, but is this all right? Yes. No. Huh? A steam explosion. What? Understood. A flame salamander is formed from collected heat. Energy. Being doused in water will cause it to immediately vaporize, creating steam that envelopes the salamander's body. 
it will also trigger a high-temperature, highly compressed wave of pressure, creating a series of explosions. And? Will that beat the salamander? Understood. Pressure times volume equals water release times. Vapor constant. Stop, give it to me in a way I can understand. Understood. It will trigger a large explosion, and it is possible that the salamander will be knocked out without a trace. However, the results will likely turn the local area into a vacant plot of land. Oh, come on. What's the point, then? I'm not suicidal, man. But if not that, then what? Water blades do nothing practical against it. Icicle Lance. I spotted the trio once more, doing their best to survive, with Elin. Casting magic in the center. Wait a sec. Water blades don't work, because they aren't magic, I suppose. So is magic all I need? Elin. Hit me with an icicle lance. Just once fine. Huh? Um, that's kind of. Just do it. The request gave her some pause, but after a second, she began. Chanting. After another moment, the freeze magic icicle lance was. Launched. Don't complain about this, to me later. Icicle lance. As she shouted out the spell, a pillar of ice shot my way. I could. Probably capture that magic with my predator skill. And if I could. Report. Launching unique skill, predator. Icicle lance predation. And analysis successful. Great. Just as I thought. Really, I half doubted it while it was being explained to me, but this. Predator had to be some kind of rule-breaking skill. That magic probably. Packed a punch, but Predator absorbed it all, leaving me undamaged, and I even learned it to boot. Hey? What happened to my magic? Sorry, Elin. Can't explain. The analysis wrapped up in an instant, and now I could cast the spell. Just by thinking about it. No chanting required, that was another nice side. Effect of Predator. Icicle Lance. Omitting the casting time, I fired some magic off toward the salamander. Then, at that moment, I understood the theory behind magic and how it all worked. My water blades didn't damage a salamander at all, even if they managed to slice right through the guy, but Elan's magic did the trick. The reason was surprisingly simple. Casting magic wasn't about acting. Upon your surroundings with a phenomenon, it was more like picturing something, then creating it in real life. I was, in a way, launching a bolt of energy that had the effect of robbing the target of its heat. That bolt happened to take the form of an energy-sapping ice pillar, but it wasn't the ice that made it work. It was the energy inside. Thus, it applied damage to a salamander, whose own energy took the form of heat and flame. And the multiple ice pillars I just launched, too big, really, to be called lances, had just skewered the two flame salamanders. That, apparently, was all it took to rid them of all their magical force. They instantly vaporized, like a puff of smoke, and were no more. Yes. All done here. Let me help you guys.
I figured I would help them out, since I'd had Elan waste a magic bolt. On me, but I was too late. Ah, crap, Cable said, it's gonna blow itself up. As the first line of defense, he launched an aura shield, but the salamander self-sacrificing explosion was more than enough to blow it away. The three of them were all exposed to the intense heat as they soared backward into the air. Flustered, I had Ranga run up to them. They were more badly burned than I'd thought. Conscious, yes, but no longer capable of moving, and Cable, up in front, had taken the worst of it. If it hadn't been for his shield, the relatively defenseless Elan and Jido easily could have died. Damn it. Ranga, protect these guys. Get them somewhere safe. But. The order gave him pause for a moment, but he fell silent, perhaps. Sensing the mystical force I was letting off. His wild instincts told him that. No back talk would be permitted, no doubt. This is an order. Do it. They've got recovery potions on them, so get. Them to a safe place, and heal them. As you say. May you fight well. Don't worry. If it's all mine, that must have convinced Ranga well enough. He nodded, gathered all. Three of them up in his mouth, and, giving me one more look of respect. Sped off. He might have had the wrong idea about my intentions, but either. Way, all I had left was Ifrit. Now I could fight without reservation. Forget. About getting anyone else involved in this. Let's get this farce over with, I thought as I stared the fire giant down, the flames whirled violently in the air. Ifrit, before my eyes, had split. Himself up. Now I had multiple giants blocking my escape routes. He had some tricky talents, but I wasn't too concerned. My detection skills could accurately tell where the fire was going. Even if the multiple efforts all launched attacks at the same time, I could easily determine their fire's danger level from the temperature and take suitable action. I already knew that they weren't all at the same level. I sincerely doubted that effort could hit me with any kind of effective attack. But at the same time, nothing I had was successful against effort. Those flames were rough. The ground was turning into magma amid the ridiculously high temperatures. No way I could just walk across that, not. Unless I wanted a clash change to burnt slime. Now what? Paralyzing breath and poisonous breath were effective only up to 30. Feet away. My breath attacks needed to be launched within that distance of Ifrit himself, which wasn't gonna happen. I needed an attack that kept me at a safe distance while dealing a decisive blow to him. The only thing that came to mind was my new toy, Icicle Lance. Take this. Icicle Lance. I launched several icicles worth at the Ifrit clones and successfully Vaporized a few of them. Vaporizing with ice sounds a bit odd, but with the clouds of water vapor after the attack struck home, that was the best way to describe it. I started getting into this little target shooting game, knocking down the clones one by one with my lances. But by the time I thought, oh, crap, it was already too late. 
The moment I felt it, I was already surrounded. A wide-range barrier to trap me? One of Ifrit's intrinsics? In an instant, there was a magic circle painted on the ground, no chanting required to cast it. I forgot I wasn't the only one who could do that. He had transformed his own body into gas and turned a hundred yard radius into a searing hot ocean of flame. Probably one of Ifrit's high-level ranged attacks, and even worse, the area was brimming with energy from the Ifrit clones I had defeated. Flare Circle I heard a voice that I couldn't quite decipher. Man, woman, young, old, wasn't that a hero or something? Elin chimed in first. I think she was active around fifty or so years ago. Famous, then? I thought to myself. Then Shizu's mask fell off her face. Flames shot upward. Up in the sky, three flame salamanders appeared. It was a hell of a way for Shizu to reveal her face to us. Her black hair fanned outward with the shock wave, shining brilliantly against the inferno. She had a fleeting, transient beauty to her, but her eyes emitted a wicked shine, and the edges of her lips were twisted upward in what seemed to be an expression of utter joy at the carnage she had seen. Something about it struck me as completely unnatural, in a way I couldn't describe very well. Then, launching unique skill, deviant. The voice of the world echoed around us. As it did, the beautiful young girl transformed into a giant of pure fire. No mystic in it, Jido shouted. That's the conqueror of flames, the master of Ifrit the Titan. The strongest elementalist in the world. Ifrit, the fire titan. The lord of fire, capable of burning anything in his path. A level above any royalty, mortal or divine. Gah. Ifrit? Isn't that spirit, like, above a rank and stuff? Cable. Yelped. Oof. That's my first time seeing it, Elin said. But, how could we? Ever beat that? Yeah, we can't, retorted Jido. We're all gonna die here. Sure was a short life, I guess. With his three flame salamanders by his side, the conqueror of flames. Surveyed his domain. No wonder the three of them were in such a panic. Even a single salamander boasted B-plus strength, but... What was the deal? With Shizu? To me, it didn't seem as if she was controlling all this, more. Like Ifrit was controlling Shizu. There was a shockwave as Shizu, or Ifrit, unleashed a torrent of magic force. That was weird. It wasn't aimed at anyone, not meant to kill, just a little show of violence, although there was nothing little about it. It didn't seem like the work of a free mind, the attack looked more as if it was pre-programmed by someone. Now there was no doubting it. This wasn't. Shizu's will at work. Ifrit was supposed to be hers to handle, but now he was out of control. Whether that theory was right or not didn't matter right now. The problem was the force behind those attacks. It was beyond lethal. Pale red. Shock waves rolled across the landscape, hot enough to instantly burn all. The buildings we had under construction. God damn it. 
We just got started, too. The three adventurers tried using a magic barrier to block the attack, I guess, but it didn't even last a single shockwave. They weren't dead, but... They weren't doing too well, either, conscious, but probably immobile by... Now. Guys, don't move. I yelled at them. You'll wind up getting targeted. They responded by bunching up together, launching both magic barrier. And aura shield. Guess this isn't an act. They were seriously defending. Themselves. So much for the let's kill all the monsters theory. Talk about force, though. The magic power effort was releasing, with no casting time at all, was blowing searing hot wind a good hundred feet in. Every direction around us. If I didn't fight these guys, Ifrit and those three. Flame salamanders, we were all going down. What a pain, but it was strange. Even in this predicament, I wasn't trembling with fear or anything. Maybe it was because I was a monster now. I mean, Veldora and that black. Snake kind of freaked me out at first, but both wound up being good. Experiences in the end. Hey. What are you trying to do? Pop. An explosion went off behind me. I was guessing trying to talk this out. With effort wasn't going to work. He just answered my question with another. White hot strike in my direction. This time, unlike that untargeted shockwave from before, he was clearly trying to kill me, and his beams of pure heat were vaporizing anything they touched on the way. The force behind them far outclassed that first release of magic power, but, hey, if they didn't hit me, no worries. I had already dodged those beams, and with my quick senses, I could see things coming at the speed of sound. In a way, I was glad we weren't finished with the town yet. I probably should have been more concerned about the flame titan in front of me, but that was the thought that popped up anyway. Our tents and temporary outhouses were gone, but that wasn't any disaster. We had already cut down the surrounding trees to expand the clearing, if we'd been in the forest, there probably would have been a massive wildfire. By now, there's a silver lining for you. I was a bit concerned about the wood and other supplies we had piled up, but there wasn't much I could do for it now. This giant had a hell of a lot of nerve, though. With that attitude of his, I was sure he saw me as nothing but an annoying little bug in his way. He was dissing me, and that was more than enough to get on my bad side. Ifrit was my enemy, and I decided now was the time for a counterattack. I had my qualms about Shizu, the person Ifrit was probably feeding off of for all this, but if I didn't strike, this would never end. Suppressing Ifrit was priority one, I could check up on Shizu later. 4. All I knew, maybe Shizu wasn't being controlled at all. I shot a water blade at Ifrit's stomach. It evaporated right before. Reaching the flame giant, a spiraling plume of fire, cut it off. Hmm guess. That won't work. But I didn't have time to ponder it, because the Salamanders had just reacted to my attack. Icicle Lance. Elan's ice magic stabbed its way through one of them. As I took a peek. 
At her, she was already fleeing back into her corner of the magic barrier. It was a clever attempt. It looked as if the barrier was holding up well. Enough without much concentration on the caster's part. But it'd take more. Then an icicle lance to shoot down those salamanders. One of them lunged straight toward the adventuring trio. You all right? I can do this. Elan said. Risking our lives is nothing new to us. Oh, come on, Cable groaned, I thought I was the leader. Well, so be. It. I'll take one of them down. Yeah? Jido retorted. I ain't heard of a bandit fightin' an elemental. Spirit before. Guess we're all in this together, huh? It was hard to tell whether they really counted on each other or not. If Cable was that eager to take one down, I might as well let him. If he died, though, that was gonna weigh on me. All right, I said. You take him. But don't P-U-S-H it. If you get hurt, use. These. Skipping the explanation, I spat out a few recovery potions and threw. Them their way. Jido managed to scoop them up. Um. Rimuru? What are these? Recovery potions. Pretty good ones, too, so if you're hurt, use them. We didn't have time for details. I went back on the move, and the three of them were too busy dealing with the flame salamander to talk. Even one would be a tough opponent for them. Hope they hang on okay. The other two salamanders, meanwhile, had started making their way toward me. Ifrit himself was calmly advancing, too. Now what? Just as the thought occurred to me, Ranga finally arrived. I'd expected to. Have him keep watch over the adventurers, but no longer. He'd be serving. As my mount instead. You call for me, my master. I hopped right on his back. At least I had some speed now. The salamanders were pretty quick up there, but not as quick as Ranga. I want you to focus on dodging them, I ordered. You don't need to. Attack at all. I'll take care of that. Understood. We had almost a wordless connection with each other. Ranga instantly understood what I wanted to do. Then we were off. The two salamanders fired off straight jets of fire breath at us, like two flamethrowers in the sky. It was light work for Ranga to avoid them, rearing back and out of range of the heat. The fire looked powerful, and I didn't.